Lockdown Diaries with Jack Kirby Love, episode 34. Hi, it is the 6th of July. It is about 20 past four. Um, how are y'all doing? Uh, so this morning I went out to run a couple of errands on foot and tried to record uh, an entry in this. And as ever, I really should know by now, it were far too windy, far too trafficy, and it was unlistenable yet again. Uh, I don't know why I keep persisting with trying to uh, record whilst I'm out about. I feel like earlier in the lockdown it seemed to be okay, but it has been exceptionally windy. I think the other problem is I stopped at one point to take a picture of some flowers, and when I crouched down and moved around, I guess the headphone jack and the phone became a little bit funny because uh, it started making a popping noise all the way through so it's terrible i mean i was had to take it together and thinking, well i've not put something out in a while i feel like what i'm talking about is kind of okay i don't really want to lose this stuff but yeah it was it got to the point where nah i made the call so i'm basically here trying to try and reiterate what i reiterate repeat what i said again um so that might be tricky, but and it won't sound as natural. Um, but you know, we're grown up boys and girls, I'm sure we can deal with it. So, what's going on? Well, uh, as I record this, it is three days to our baby's due date. That's exciting, isn't it? So, um, I think we're kind of ready to be honest. I think we've got all the stuff, we seem to have got loads of stuff, and I think we've got it all. Um, we have done a little test run to the hospital, so, um, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but, um, my mother-in-law, Janet, her car, uh, is the car we're going to use to get to the hospital, and, uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, um, it's got its catalytic converter stolen, which was a bit of a, bit of a spanner in the works so that has since been to the garage and returned and is in working order i've been put on the insurance and i did a little yeah we drove to the hospital and back it takes about 12 minutes so that's fine that was good just to get used to a car um so that's all ready really um yeah a little bit you know people keep asking us oh um, you know we're obviously with uh, all of the best and right intentions and things are you ready and and oh not long to go and it's like yeah no not already not long to go yeah it's all good just kind of a little bit bored of replying to those queries sorry everyone but uh also yeah just just very much particularly lauren ready for the baby to be born so that should happen soon really could happen anytime could happen now as i record um or it could happen in two weeks. Who knows? It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking three weeks off from the um, uh, the date of birth. I've arranged with work, so that's two weeks paternity and one week regular annual leave after that. I mean, I could do the break. So looking forward to it. I'm quite aware that it probably won't really be a break, but at least I won't have to think about work. So that's good um yeah so we're ready in terms of uh 
what happens again not sure if i've mentioned this or not but i've had a couple of friends that have had babies during lockdown and the rules seem to change a little bit for everyone um the current guidance that we've got is that i will be allowed to come into the uh room uh once we've reached six centimeters dilation <laughs> which is uh yeah i wonder how that meeting went or meetings probably and then yeah i'll be able to stay until the baby's born for a couple of hours afterwards um and then i'll have to leave i guess depending on what time of day that might be i might have to come home and for a night or something and yeah but we'll, we'll see how we go i can't help but think that probably um whoever is in charge the matron or i don't know the doctor or whatever may have their own interpretation of the rules if they feel it's quiet enough or whatever they might say stay longer or maybe not stay much i don't know so we'll just see what happens when we get there really but i think it's probably looking like i'll be waiting around in the hospital car park for at least some period of time so yeah it'd be very weird really um yeah not ideal but i'm you know we just have to get over that hump and we'll be home with a little baby uh which will be which will be lovely so that's that's good um when i was on my walk i was uh doing a couple of errands i had some post to post uh which i did a little postcard to aunt and uncle who um who had been in touch over lockdown so i thought i'd return the favor and i sent a newspaper supplement to my friend glenn and avid listener to the podcast so i don't know if you'll hear this or receive the post first but i've sent him a little football supplement about liverpool win the league as he is a liverpool fan and i thought that might be nice so that's in the post glenn if you're listening or it might be in your hands or it might be in your bin because it is just a newspaper thing anyway so <laughs> there you go make of that what you will um i also had a library book to drop off which i took out well before lockdown started i think it was about to go out of date as lockdown came in and then they sort of shut the libraries and waived fees and things but i was under the impression that romilly libraries were open again but the one the little one up our road wasn't which was annoying but uh they did have a notice saying it was shut but then and saying uh, you could pop your books through the letterbox but that was all taped up so i couldn't do that so that was silly um i don't know maybe the big one in the town center is open but i've not really been venturing that far so that will be a mission for another day i should think but yeah so that sort of baby update i reckon um the two sort of subjects i spoke about at length earlier today were were kia starmer and then a bit of a football update so i'll, I'll chat about kia starmer maybe this is good i've sort of been through this conversation once and maybe in theory my thoughts might be a little bit more aligned but we'll see won't we um so yeah uh, i th- i think to sort of set out my style i'm not a member of the labor party i've no real intention to ever be a member of a political party just because i have voted for different ones at different times and I would like to retain the right to do so not that being a member of a party removes that right but it just feels a bit sort of pointless really uh, not to we live at the moment in a 
very safe Tory seat. So to a point, it doesn't really matter who I vote for. Uh, but yeah, recently Labour, just when it looked like there might be a vague chance of them winning, but um, Green in the past, Lib Dem in 2010, as a lot of uh, students did, or just about ex-students. Um, but yeah, um, so I, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not a member of the party, but I did get a vote on the leadership by being a union member, a member of Unison. So I did vote for Keir Starmer. Um, which I think is was is was probably the right move. Um, my main it was I did a lot of thinking, but the main reason with for doing so is I felt Keir Starmer would probably uh, be the best option in opposition rather than in power. I think if Labour were in power, then I would lean more towards the Rebecca Long Bailey stance. But Starmer just seemed to be a a figure that would be more likely to sort of deal with Boris Johnson a bit better. I, that's not to cast aspersions on either of the two. I just feel like, you know, with the press very much in favour of the Conservatives and whatnot, I think it'd just be quite easy for Johnson to, I don't know, paint them in a worse picture than he would be able to do Starmer. And I think, again, Starmer's credentials from his law background and stuff just, um, make him a better opposition leader uh and i think you know and it's not been that long so what i well, don't even know but yeah it's been weeks months sort of that he's been in charge and i think he's been okay generally at sort of challenging johnson on some things other things he could be harder on which we'll get to um so yeah it's a bit mixed really um but yeah so there has been two sort of uh events i suppose recently with with starmer that gave me a bit of pause for thought so the first of which was the um sacking of rebecca long bailey as a shadow shadow education um secretary or minister whatever um so i'm sure most people are probably aware but for anyone that doesn't or a reminder um long bailey uh tweeted a link to a interview that the independent did with uh, Maxine Peake, uh, which Maxine Peake talked about how great Labour is, as she's wont to do. But the interview also contained reference to um, the American uh, police officers receiving training from the Israeli Defence Forces, uh, and specifically in the neck kneeling manoeuvre uh that killed george floyd uh which uh isn't correct uh, i i i believe they have undertaken training in israel uh but they've had training from other countries as well um and but the neck kneeling thing is is not a thing well not not a thing from israel it's uh um well it's a technique that according to a podcast that had a sort of history professor of african-american studies is is it's got centuries old it goes back to slave trading days and things like that so it's a very much part of an american heritage of racism that israel doesn't have anything to do with now the problematic aspect is sort of any blaming israel for bad things that go on in the world and by extension jewish people uh, is an anti-semitic trope which yeah whilst it 
isn't, you know, it's not as egregious as some forms of anti-Semitism. And I don't want to, you know, I still think it's possible to be critical of the Israeli state uh, quite legitimately without getting into anti-Semitist um, tropes and things like that. But, um, yeah, Starmer, as I understand it, or the leadership team, um, asked Long Bailey to remove the tweet. She opted not to. I think she tried to sort of uh, caveat it or explain it, but she didn't delete it. And that um, prompted Starmer to sack her. So at the time, uh, and I sort of was on the internet as this was happening, so I watched it kind of unfold during the course of the day in real time. I was pretty shocked. I thought that was a very harsh um, move on Starmer's part, uh, possibly a bit unfair. But my position on that has shifted a bit um, in in that time. So I don't... Um, so obviously Starmer's... Well, one of Starmer's many priorities is to uh, re remove this label of anti-Semitism that Labour has become saddled with under recent years. And I think that's incredibly important. It's, it's awful, really, that... Um, anti-Semitism has been allowed to take place within the Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn um, of whom sort of I you know I did support I voted for him as well um, but I don't think whether or not he is to blame um, for the presence of anti-Semitism you can argue about but one thing I firmly believe and I think most people would agree with I hope most people would agree with is that he certainly didn't do enough to combat the anti-Semitism scandal that unfolded within his party while he was leader. Um, he acted too slowly and not strongly enough. I don't know, you know, there's people that would agree with that. There's people that would say that he didn't. There's people that say that he's blameless in this. There's people that say that it's made up. But I don't think that is true. I think you have to listen and uh, believe people when they say that racism, anti-Semitism, abuse is happening. Um, I think that's pretty... Uh, a very dangerous path not to um, and yeah it wasn't dealt with properly so Starmer has to kind of take a very hard line approach to any uh, any tiny bit of anti-semitism or even the perception thereof um, and it's unfortunate because I you know I'm sure Long Bailey must have been aware of that and it seems that she was given the option to, to backtrack uh, and it's sad that she didn't recognize that or choose to do so uh within the context of you know removing anti-semitism from the party which needs to be done it's disgusting um so i kind of get where he was coming from that it's it's harsh but i guess under the circumstances i think he needs to take a harsh line i do think that there's more to it than that. I do think it's very much about the optics as well. I think Pierre Starmer is very keen to make the party an appealable, electable option for, well, you know, people that aren't following politics so much and people that only get the sound bites and the headlines largely from the right wing press. Um, and at the time of this, uh, Boris Johnson hadn't sacked, well, still hasn't, I don't think he ever will, sacked Dominic Cummings over the uh, the lockdown breach that he did. And 
he was under pressure to sack Robert Jenrick for his little nonsense scandal. Uh, so by contrast, Starmer sacking Long Bailey without much hesitation uh, makes him come across very much as a strong leader, which, uh, sorry I said that weird, but it's done being a bit ironical about it. But yeah, it, it certainly looks different, better by contrast. And I think the following day there was a, a bit in the Daily Mail, which I saw, which said that the... Um, the Conservative handling of Cummings and Jenrick was an absolute shambles and compared them unfavourably to uh, Starmer's no-nonsense approach, which, yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's a sad time when, you know, we have to be trying to appease the Daily Mail or people that think alongside that, but I think that's kind of what Starmer has to do. The Overton window has shifted very much to the right, um, and pragmatically, Starmer needs to win votes from floating voters, uh, from centrists, from the right, if Labour's got any chance of getting in. And I think my position, as I say, I'm not a Labour supporter, but I want them in power. Um, but more importantly to me, I think I want the Conservatives out of power. That seems to be, that has to be the priority. It's no good being... It's very difficult, isn't it? But it's I do, it's no good being a party that stands and believes in everything if they just can't be elected. And we've had a, a left-winger in charge who I was in favour of, who I agree with politically, who, you know, I thank for the positive things that he did do for Labour and the country, but it didn't work in terms of getting in. And that has to be the most important thing. The Conservative Party are literally killing people, depending on what you read and who you believe, but austerity measures can be aligned with some 140,000 deaths in the UK, which is obscene. And obviously the handling of the, um, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, the UK's excess, excess deaths are well above anything else in Europe. So their reckless approach, their cavalier approach to the sanctity of human life they need removing as soon as possible. And I know that sounds extreme, but I mean, that is literally what we're talking about. So getting them out and having a bit of a less, uh, somewhat, you know, a Labour Party I'm less emotionally enthusiastic about, I, I, you have, I have to take that any day of the week, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's always preferable to vote with your heart rather than your head I think but the, the conservatively getting rid of the Labour Party is the most viable best option obviously it'd be great if uh, the Green Party were in charge but you know it's just not going to happen is it um, much as that would be the best option for everyone I probably think but um, yeah so that brings so yeah around that second of Long Bailey I, I understand it and whilst it sits uncomfortably I, I I get it and if it does purge the party of anti-semitic people then good frankly that yeah um you know nothing against Long Bailey but if by sacrificing her we're a step in the direction of removing anti-semitism from Labour then I don't know I think that's possibly a sacrifice I was willing to make um yeah 
but we'll see how that plays out. Um, the thing I possibly have more of a problem with, or well, definitely have more of a problem with, was Keir's stance on the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. So, um, towards the start of the protests happening in the UK, uh, he was photographed in the um, taking a knee position in support of Black Lives Matter, uh, which is all well and good. And then about a week or so later, I think on BBC Breakfast News, um, he was very critical, dismissive of Black Lives Matter's political aims, specifically around defunding the police. Now, I think, I think, you know, the whole defund the police thing is slightly a victim of uh, people's inability to uh, <laughs> consume nuance. Uh, it's a little bit of a good slogan, which unfortunately doesn't sort of really convey what the, the meaning of the statement is. So when Black Lives Matter say defund the police, it's not about necessarily abolishing the police. I'm sure some people do think that, but primarily as a goal, it's about removing uh, police budgets and taking that money and spending it elsewhere on, uh, on things that would reduce crime in the first place. So spending on social care, spending on employability schemes, spending on youth provision, uh, housing, uh, health, all of these things that where people have their basic needs met, they are less likely to be involved in crime and therefore the police doesn't need the power that it has, um, which is hopefully for the benefit of everyone. It's a little bit, uh, is it Blair? I think it was Blair, you know, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. It's it's the causes of crime that we're looking at. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, if you think of the police as a reactionary force, this is a proactive way to deal with crime in society. So speaking as someone that has been involved in youth services and um, health for young people um, for all of my professional career pretty much, um, anyone that's worked in a sort of youth services background will recognise the absolutely horrendous cuts that we've had over the last decade to youth provision. So when 2010 um, when the Tories came in uh, under well under the financial crash, um, uh, they implemented austerity and local authorities had to slash their budgets by millions and millions. And the thing about youth services, so youth clubs, things, activity, investment in things for young people to do and help them learn and grow, all these things. They're not statutory in England. I don't know about Scotland and Wales, but they're certainly not statutory in England. So um, when a council is faced with having to cut its budget by several million, by, you know, 50%, 25%, whatever it might be, they have to look at the non-statutory stuff that they, that they can get rid of, unfortunately. That's, that's often youth provision. And obviously it's different priorities for different councils, depending on who's in charge, but most... Most certainly in London, most of them have had to reduce their budgets for youth, um, youth services in those in that time. And there's a lot of complicated factors at play. But I think the the more you, you know, neglect young people in a local community, the more likely they are 
to be sort of vulnerable is becoming getting into crime and i do use the word vulnerable um because that's what it is they are victims as much as anybody else um you know if you are from a well-off family that's you're less affected by this you can afford to take your kids to museums and for days out and get them on extracurricular activities and all the rest of it but if you're not well off then you rely on the council to provide stuff for kids to do and if they're not providing anything to do or there's less things for them to do then they are potentially likely to get involved in criminal activity and stuff and therefore become a problem for the police so if you address that by funding youth services you are creating less problems for the police at the source of it at the source and it's the same for all the other things that you could um, divert uh, money from the police to do and you know maybe if we're, if we're thinking about some sort of utopia maybe one day uh, you don't need the police because all problems are addressed by society and all the rest of it I don't think we're ever going to live in a utopia so I expect we shall need some form of the police in one form or other but yeah so Starmer <laughs> to get back to him uh, he dismissed defunding the police as a nonsense, um, which is just ridiculous because I, I appreciate on Brett Paul, you know, whatever channel he was on, he maybe had 60 seconds or whatever to make his point. But it's it's up to him to try and um, distinguish that and make that point and clarify what that means, because it's not something you can just dismiss. And Labour are about investing in, you know, um, in society basically any labor government will be giving more public spending in order to support people in that way that's part and parcel of what labor about or it is to my sensibilities anyway so yeah um spending more on on these things should be what labor are and in starmer rather than just dismissing it in what i can only view is an effort to appeal to the more center or right um wing people uh just lost that nuance which is concerning really that he, for all that he's described as being forensic in his approach he certainly wasn't then he it was i think he had a duty to sort of explain what that meant and it is hypocritical really to take the knee and then dismiss the political aims of the movement because how else are you actually going taking the knee doesn't solve racism i mean i'm not sure there's any specific action that would solve racism but he's got a duty to if he's showing the organization that respect by doing that then he has a duty to try and put that into political action as well which it seems like he's unwilling to do so you know <laughs> we'll see where that leads us now the other side of this which i appreciate is difficult to contend with is the conservatives through austerity have effectively been defunding the police as well the problem is they've been defunding everything um, so if one of your lines of attack one of your criticisms of the conservatives is they've reduced police budgets and taken off forty thousand police officers from the streets or whatever uh, i appreciate it's then difficult to sort of say but we'd also do that but in a sort of managed way we're spending the money elsewhere it's difficult to balance that but i don't think it's impossible um to critique how the tories have handled it and also suggest new ways of doing things but yeah maybe that doesn't translate into 
a quick bulletin while people are having the coffee and trying to get the kids, well, not to school, but whatever. Anyway, so, yeah, uh, I didn't like that. <laughs> um, I didn't like it, but I understand vaguely where it is. I think it was a bit of a, again, a bit of a sidestep to try and appeal to a wider base, which needs to happen. I mean, as I say, like we, we had Corbyn, we had a left wing leader and it just, it didn't work. He lost two elections and I'm really sorry about that. I'm gutted about it. I wanted him to win. I think his policies, his manifestos, there's very little in there that I would disagree with. Um, but it didn't work. And then obviously the circumstances, Brexit <laughs> and everything that leads to it. But it, we do need to try another approach, I suppose. By we, I mean those on the left, I suppose. And yeah, in short, it's going to be a long four years. I hope they're effective ones. And I hope Labour do get in. If that means they have to appeal to a more centre centrist position so be it but I hope the shift leftwards in power I don't think that happens does it but we'll see we will see but you know again rather a centrist Labour party than this far right conservative party that's killing its citizens not the most enthusiastic of choices is it but there you go so anyway I thought I'd also talk about the football because that's back uh, and is well whether it should be back or not I don't know but it's a it's a welcome distraction I must say so Liverpool won the title congratulations Liverpool I mean fully deserved they were head and shoulders better than any other team in the country um, and yeah well deserved win um, I really don't have a problem with Liverpool a lot of non-Liverpool fans seem to like you know, they're going about how Liverpool, we won't hear the end of it from their fans. But um, I think most football fans, when they win the league, tend to go on about it a bit. Um, I don't see the problem with that, with Liverpool rather than anybody else. I think in this country, uh, I think people are a bit unnecessarily prejudiced against Scousers in Liverpool. Uh, I think you can probably blame Thatcher for that, but hey-ho, there you go. I don't buy into it. I think Liverpool fans should uh, sing long and loud about it. Possibly they shouldn't set fire to the live building. But, um, yeah, well done. And you know what? I would much rather see Liverpool uh, win, the, win the league than Man City, whose ownership I find abhorrent. Uh, and just, well, they're just trying to sports wash and buy the league, which is disgusting. I mean, Chelsea are a similar story. Um Arsenal, as a Spurs fan, are horrible. And I don't want Arsenal, every failure they get brings joy to my heart. Uh, <laughs> so they're, I'm not happy with them. Man United, as a kid, like Man United were in their pomp. And <clears throat> I sort of didn't like them in principle, really. But And I know they're on a ship, I know a picnic either. But um, yeah, under Solskjaer, they're quite likeable, really. I quite like him. And obviously Marcus Rashford has uh, been a bit of a hero uh, over the last several weeks. Perhaps he should be the leader of the opposition. Ha ha. But yeah, um, they're quite likeable. And whilst they're a direct rival, so their success hampers Spurs. It is quite nice to see that team performing and doing well. And yeah, Spurs are just a shambles at the moment. 
Um, uh, we've had three games. Oh, we've got uh, four tonight, but um, we've had three games since football's restarted. So we had a draw with Man United, which was probably the fair result, but not what we needed if we were to try and get into European positions. Um, a win to West Ham, which is good, but not really anything less than what should be happening. And um, a loss to Sheffield. Um, and I mean full credit to Sheffield. They have been brilliant this season and they were the better team and if you if you know but if we can't beat them we've got no right to be above them frankly um but yeah it looks a bit like european football ain't likely to happen next season for tottenham uh, or if it does it will be the europa league which brings with it its own problems and concerns um yeah I mean, we've got a nice big fancy stadium with a lot of debt that needs paying off. So having any kind of European games will bring more income in. But Europa brings in a lot less than the Champions League. People say that, you know, we might have a decent chance of winning it if we took it seriously, which maybe we would. But people have been saying that for a long time. And I don't know, I think like the quality of teams excuse me, in Europa League is quite high these days. So I don't think that's any guarantee by any means. Um, and yeah... It's, I don't know, it's not always great to watch, but that's often because teams don't put out strong teams because they don't take it seriously. So, I don't know, it would be quite nice to, if we're in it, to have a good go. And that would be another way back into the Champions League, which would be preferable, but, and it would be a trophy. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, so that would be nice, but, yeah, the other option is if we aren't in Europa League then does that give you a clear run at taking the league more seriously and maybe we could I think we definitely need some additions to the squad which don't look very likely to happen at this point I don't know how much business Spurs will be doing in the summer probably not very much but we need a defensive midfielder and ideally some new fullbacks I'd probably get a backup centre-back and a backup uh, striker as well, if it were up to me, but that's a bit of a wish list. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't think it's impossible to have a decent run at the league without the distraction of European football. Um, Chelsea won it when they didn't have um, European competition a few years ago. And, yeah, Liverpool have got 90-odd points last season and probably going to get a similar amount this season as well. To do to keep that up for three seasons, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think a lot of their key players are sort of their late twenties now, which is you know they're still definitely legs in them and stuff, but they're not such a young squad as that won't be a factor, I should think. Similar story with Man City. Obviously, they won the league tw previous two seasons, both with very high scores, high points. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, They've obviously dropped off a bit this year. Um, whether or not they'll middle out or improve or drop off again, we'll see. But I think, you know, they're obviously, those two teams will probably dominate. But, you know, no one would have seen City being 20 odd behind, points behind Liverpool at the start of the season. Unfortunately for Spurs, um, I just don't know that I think Jose Mourinho is the right man for the job, to be honest. Um, he, yeah, 
I, I'm not really a football tactician. I don't read the game very well. That's not one of my strong suits. But I feel like even I just I can't really understand why we're playing in the way we're playing. Um, he just doesn't seem a good fit for Spurs. So in the Man United game, we went a goal up, which is great, obviously. Played quite well, I thought, up in the build-up to that. But then in the second half, we kind of let them have the ball and laid off. And under the previous manager, Pochettino, we would have been pressing them and trying to win the ball back. But instead, we sort of let them to it and just defended this one-goal lead, which just doesn't seem sensible, <laughs> particularly against Manchester United, who have got a who are in excellent form. I've got some brilliant players. So, yeah, I don't know why we weren't. And even if you don't win the ball back, you're at least disrupting the other team and not letting them play their game. So, I don't know what that was about. It seems stupid. Maybe we didn't have the energy for it. I don't know. But we got kind of... West Ham we played okay-ish towards the end. I mean, the first goal was a long time coming and it was an own goal, but that seemed to help I think but against Sheffield we just look rubbish <laughs> really I mean perhaps that's unfair there were some decisions that arguably didn't go our way I think that's more to do with the rules rather than the referees really the new rule law on um, handball doesn't seem fit for purpose uh, which I think we were a victim of um, but I don't blame the referee I think they're and VAR, I think they implemented the rules as they are supposed to. It's just the rules aren't very good. But anyway, um, it could be a long season next season being a Spurs fan as well. <laughs> That's my football roundup. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's too much else to update on. I've been reading a good book on uh, fatherhood by Matt Coyne that, again, Glenn recommended to me. It's called Dummy. Uh, he's found a blog called Man vs. Baby. Um, and it's good. It's a very sort of frank uh, and not sugar-coated sort of um, description of fatherhood, which is good. Uh, he swears every other word, so if that's a problem for you, you won't enjoy the book. Uh, I don't mind that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's quite nice to read something that is pretty frank uh, and honest about the tough stuff um, rather than just all the happy stuff. So that has been quite good. Um, I've also been listening to Lost in the Lockdown, which is uh, three good chaps revisiting Lost, which to my mind is the best television program there's ever been and I say that mostly and ironically um, yeah I love Lost and listening to these lads uh, chat about it has been very nice and if you are similarly inclined to me if you if you enjoy the show as well then you'll probably enjoy that podcast so do give that a listen Lost in the Lockdown if you if you can so, yeah, um, I think that was pretty much everything I said whilst I was on my walk. The good thing about that, I'm just, just dictating this to my computer, so it's sort of, I don't need to listen back, really, and uh, make edits. So that saves some time. You know, just do this all the time, really. <sighs> anyway, right. Thank you very much for listening. It's been lovely to uh, catch up um, again. Uh, I suppose... <coughs> With the baby coming, 
possibly updates to the lockdown tower he might be uh, less frequent still but apologies in advance do at me on twitter at jack kirby if you want to say anything or whatever um it's lovely that you know uh people do take time to listen um but stay safe out there i appreciate the uh, lockdown has loosened a bit but do do make decisions thinking of those around you as well and uh, who else's safety might be at risk um but i'm sure everyone has been sensible and i hopefully will speak to you again soon Bye-bye.